Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. And welcome back to another episode of the Pensburg Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Bahanna, and as always, alongside me is fellow Pensburg writer and co-host of this wonderful podcast, Robbie Noggle. Robbie, how have you been since last week? Pretty good. Um, very good after Tuesday night, which we'll talk about in a second, but um, overall very good and look forward to getting a, another episode here in the books and very happy now the season's underway. That's right, Robbie. Now we, we finally have some real regular season hockey to digest and dissect and talk about. That's exactly what we're going to spend the majority of this episode on. Might be a shorter episode in nature, seeing how as we only have one real game to talk about. And I don't want to draw too many conclusions from one 60-minute hockey game. But, Robbie, uh, you and I, along with the rest of the Penguins fans, have to be very impressed with what we saw on Tuesday night. A, a banner-raising filled with pomp and circumstance down in Tampa Bay as the Pittsburgh Penguins got their season underway against the defending Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning. And I don't know if, if, the, if the Lightning were still had a little bit of Stanley Cup hangover, but through 60 minutes of play on that Tuesday night, the Penguins look like they, the pure, dominant, better team as they get a 6-2 victory over the Tampa Bay Lightning. Let's go through and give a quick recap of every, every meaningful bit of action, and then we'll break it down, uh, and we'll give both of our opinions on what we saw on opening night. Like I said, Pittsburgh wins this one by a score of 6-2. They are 1-0 on the season. The Tampa Bay Lightning are 0-1-0. No goals to talk about through the first period of play, but 12 seconds into the second period, Danton Heinen is the name that we brought up multiple times throughout our preseason podcast as a name to certainly keep an eye on. He scores the first goal of the 2021-22 season, getting Pittsburgh on the board one nothing over Tampa Bay 12 seconds into the second period. Brian Boyle, who was just signed to an official contract after 
uh, participating on a professional tryout deal, gets his first goal of the season after not playing in the NHL for over 14 months at the 4:11 mark of the second period. Pittsburgh out to a surprising 2-0 lead into the third period now. Dominic Simone gets his first goal of the season. I'm sure that makes a lot of Penguins fans happy, very happy to see Dominic Simone with a little bit of finishing ability, even if his goal was a bit fluky in nature. However, what is not fluky is the score on the scoreboard. Pittsburgh leads by a score of 3-0 to zero through the halfway point of the third period. So with Pittsburgh up by a score of 3 to nothing, Tampa Bay Lightning head coach John Cooper, who was recently given a contract extension, he goes full YOLO mode and pulls the goaltender, pulls uh, Andre Vasilevsky with about six, five or six minutes to go in the third period. Anthony Sorelli does get the Tampa Bay Lightning on the board at the 14-23 mark of the third period. Uh, breaks the Pittsburgh shutout. Pittsburgh still leads by a score of 3-1. to one. Teddy Bluger scores, I believe it was an empty netter, Robbie. It doesn't say empty netter on the NHL's official website. I believe this was an empty netter. Evan Rodriguez gets an empty netter. And Brian Rust gets an empty netter as well. Alex Kalorn gets another goal in between there uh, at the 16:49 mark of the third period to cut the lead down to two. It was four to two. Pittsburgh had the lead again. Evan Rodriguez and Brian Rust had a couple more empty net goals. But uh, after the empty net goal fest and all of the festivities came and went, 60 minutes of hockey was played. Pittsburgh, Robbie, with a resounding 6-2 win over the defending Stanley Cup champions. And uh, I, I have quite a bit that I'd like to talk about individually here. Pittsburgh had a 14-7 lead in shots and a 64% face-off percentage through the first period of play. And one of the things that we're going to talk about in this episode, Robbie, is the style of play. That's going to be the main topic that we will talk about in this episode, is the style of play. I thought the Penguins really clamped down in their defensive zone, really made Tristan Jari's life a lot easier. They really insulated Tristan Jari. Really, Jari did not have a, a hard day's work here in the office. Uh, through two periods of play, shot attempts were in favor of Pittsburgh, 17 to 12. Again, Jari had no real difficulty through 40 minutes of play. Brian Boyle, on his goal, goes five-hole on Vasilevsky. That was a, a, a great thing to see for Brian Boyle after not playing hockey for so long. Uh, Dominic Simone getting his first goal of the season in rather fluky fashion, but they all count the same if you're a player. Uh, and then the empty net goals that were scored after Tampa Bay, really laying it all out there, seeing if they could muster anything. Final thoughts before I shift it over to you, Robbie. I thought Danton Heinen had a really impressive game. I thought the fork, the four check from the Penguins was very aggressive. Uh, again, like I said, the defense really clamped down in their own zone, really didn't really made Tampa uh, play a much more difficult game that I'm not sure they were accustomed to. Uh, again, a really easy night for Jari to build that confidence in the first game of the season. And as we record this episode, Casey DeSmith is in the net for the Penguins as they battle the Florida Panthers. One last thing, Jason Zucker, I saw, had four shots on goal, which led the team. That's an encouraging sign for Jason Zucker. We'll see if he can translate those shots on net into tangible offense goals and assists. But, Robbie, after this big explanation that I just harped on for the last couple of minutes, I want to turn the microphone over to you. Uh, I basically gave my piece, was very impressed with the Penguins, and uh, I'm sure you're going to say something similar, but I, I want to see, how, what did you make of the Penguins' first game of the season in an impressive victory over the Tampa Bay Lightning well coming out of that game it's very hard not to be impressed with the Penguins did and if you would have before the game 
drawn up a roadmap for the Penguins to win that game, it would have followed pretty much exactly what they did in that game. Mike Sullivan had them ready, and he had them prepared, which is what he does so well. He coaches so well when he is shorthanded, especially with some of those big guns like Crosby and Malkin out of the lineup. And now one thing that I didn't really see mentioned is the Penguins have known, one, that they were going to play Tampa Bay in that opener, and they knew they were going to be without Crosby since before training camp started. So Sullivan could focus all training camp on getting ready for that game, getting the lineup he wanted, and getting the system instilled uh, that he wanted to play in that game. And that system works so well when the players buy into it. And on Tuesday night, everybody – from that top line with Jeff Carter to the bottom line with Brian Boyle to all six guys on the blue line bought into exactly what Mike Sullivan had planned. And when they all buy in, it works to perfection. And that's what we saw on a Tuesday night. Tampa is a team that if you give them time and space, they're going to kill you. They will kill you up and down the roster. Stamkos, Kucherov, Hedman on the blue line, point, they will kill you. But what the Penguins did, they took away all that time and space from Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay had no time to do anything. And a lot of credit to Jari for hanging in there and no 5-1-5 goals against Jari. But the Penguins' defense in that four-check has to get credit for just limiting their opportunities. They They gave Tampa Bay absolutely nothing, and that's the way you have to beat Tampa Bay. Now, there may have been some hangover. They had the big celebration beforehand. They had a very short summer this year. But the Penguins came out, and they suffocated Tampa Bay. And you didn't hear Stamkos. You didn't hear Kucherov. You didn't hear those names hardly at all because they just were completely evaporated from the lineup by the Penguins, the the Penguins system. And credit to Mike Sullivan and credit to everybody who put on that jersey on Tuesday night because – Listen, going into that game, we all thought that, hey, this is going to be a tough game. This is a really tough game uh, because you're telling Tampa Bay, the crowd's going to be hyped. It's going to be energetic. And they came out and completely sucked the life out of that building. You kind of had a feeling after that first period when they didn't score that, man, if, if they didn't get one of the first, it's if Tampa Bay gets that, that first goal in the second, it's going to be a tough haul then. But they just kept playing that game, and they broke through early on a rare mistake by Vasilevsky. And then they just kept coming. The Boyle goal, and then Dom Simone in the third. And then even when Tampa made it 3-1 with, what, five minutes left, you think, oh, man, this could be a problem. They just – John Cooper kept leaving the net empty, and they just kept pounding in. So just a great way to start the season. Obviously, long way to go. But if they play games like that more often than not, they're going to be in the playoffs again, and they're going to be a Stanley Cup favorite. That's just as simple as it is. And they do that without – Crosby and Malkin, and they just got to do that when they get back. They're going to be fine. As we segue here into the next part of what I wanted to talk about, uh, and you mentioned it, they're still missing Sidney Crosby. They're still missing Evgeny Malkin. Um, as we record this episode, we know Sidney Crosby is progressing pr- possibly faster than initially expected. Uh, like I said, the, the Penguins are currently playing the Florida Panthers, that game just getting underway. We do know Jake Gensel is back in the lineup for the Penguins. That will give them a boost offensively in that top six. So uh, that is one uh, another positive as we get, uh, get the ball rolling here in the early per- portion of the season. It's just one game out of 82, and I know we shouldn't be we shouldn't be planning the parade route just yet for the Penguins, but this has to be a massive, massive 
confidence booster for this team, a severely undermanned team to go into hostile territory with a banner raising all the pomp and circumstance, like I mentioned, and to get a resounding win over Tampa Bay has to really propel them, at least in the early portion of the season, because when they come home from Florida playing the Panthers, they'll come home to what I believe is an eight-game homestand, which is one of the longest homestands in team history. Uh, so that'll be uh, that'll be another encouraging sign you probably have to imagine that Crosby will feature on that homestand at one point. But as we move forward here, and we talked about it, it was an aggressive forechecking performance by the Penguins. The defense really clamped down, really didn't make life difficult for Tristan Jari. The Penguins are still undermanned. We, they still don't have Crosby. They still don't have Malkin. They don't have Mike Matheson or Zach Aston Reese. I'm not a huge X's and O guy, Robbie. I'm not sure how, how much of the X's and O's and the real uh, the real ins and outs of the game that you you follow. But I want to ask you this. We, we see Mike Sullivan's system, and it worked to a T. The Penguins are fast, in-your-face, aggressive on the forecheck. They come back, and they're responsible in their own zone as well, making life easy for Jari, whose confidence might be on shaky ground. His confidence has to get a boost as well. But as we move forward into the early parts of the season, even if the Penguins have Sidney Crosby, is this is this can this style of play can Mike Sullivan's system be easily sustainable over the early portion of the season while we wait to get back to full strength? Yeah, I think, I mean, you're obviously going to have off nights. It's not going to work 100% of the time. <clears throat> but that's, I mean, that's hockey. You saw it kind of how they won the Cup in 2016, just being completely relentless all the time and making life absolutely miserable for opposing teams. And maybe they aren't as fast right now as they were then. But, I mean, if you put the right players together and you get that buy-in, you're gonna. It's gonna work more often than not. And 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 again, when Crosby comes back, they don't have to play the super hyper aggressive defensive forechecking style like they did against Tampa Bay because you have a little more freedom when you get that line of Crosby, Gensel, and Russ back together, and you kind of get a better feel of where pieces are going. Again, because after Crosby comes, after Crosby comes back, we're we know that we're still gonna have a long wait until Malkin comes back. At that point, we're gonna have to wait until. Uh, probably at least the new year at the very earliest until we see 71 on the ice. So you get Crosby back and then you drop down, um, you drop Carter down to that second spot, that second center role. Uh, he looked very good with Dan Heinen. We'll talk about who looked good and maybe who didn't um, here in a little bit, but it, I mean, Carter looked good. Like you just, it kind of evens everything out once those pieces start coming back, back together. And they really turned into a complete buzzsaw that we saw uh, in the past under Mike Sullivan on what we saw Tuesday night. And whether you probably can't play that aggressive for 82 games, but man, if you can just keep that four check up and just make the game miserable and just outskate the other team, you're going to win a heck of a lot of hockey games. And Tuesday night, if that's what we see the rest of the season, even with Crosby and Malkin back, the Penguins, are they're going to be in the hunt again. All right, uh, Robbie, you, you brought it up, and uh, let's talk about it here. Let's talk about some of the individual performances that impressed you. Uh, looking through the score sheet here, Evan Rodriguez, it was an empty net goal, but they all count the same. He gets his first point of the season. Drew O'Connor has an assist. Brian Boyle goes five hole for his first goal in a long time. Uh, Jason Zucker, as I mentioned, four shots on goal. Brian Rust, three shots on goal. Danton Heinen, four shots on goal, uh, and a point registered as well. Uh, Dominic Simone, four shots on goal, and Teddy Bluger gets three shots on goal. 
of course, only through one game, we, we might have some of the same answers here, but uh, I, I mentioned Zucker and Heinen, and uh, those two really stood out to me. Jeff Carter on the first line really looks responsible, and you mentioned it too. Could the Danton Heinen and, and Jeff Carter, could they be forming some chemistry there? That's something that we're going to have to watch as well. But uh, even if you do have some of the similar players that I mentioned, who are some of the players that you looked that you looked at at game number one and thought, wow, that was a really good performance, and I may not have been expecting that from this particular player? I mean, we talk, I mean, there's a lot of talk the last couple of years about Sam Lafferty. He's been a great, he's had great showings in camp. He has great speed. Uh, but his pass in the Boyle goal on uh, Tuesday night was about as perfect of a pass as you can make uh, for anyone, whether it's Crosby or a fourth liner like like Lafferty. Just uh, picture perfect right on the stick uh, to Boyle, who cut in and buried it then with a perfect shot. But, I mean, Lafferty looked really good. Pretty much everybody that dressed looked good uh, for the most part. Uh, Mark Friedman made the most of his opportunity, a last-second um kind of in the lineup after Mike Matheson was scratched. Uh, he looked good um, on that bottom pairing with Chad Ruedel. Ruedel is just, I mean, Ruedel is what he is. He's solid as heck um, all the time. Latang Dumoulin completely dominated the game as a top pairing, but we expect that. And Pedersen, he, Pedersen's not going to put numbers in the box score, but again, as solid as he, as solid as you come, I'm glad they didn't trade him this off season. Uh, that reach is so long for a guy that doesn't look, that big uh, that reach makes it very difficult on uh, on offensive players trying to get a look at goal or a good shot on goal uh, but I mean overall I just think top to bottom there's not much to be unimpressed with um, I have to go back and even look at the roster just remember some of the guys that were in the in the lineup because it was so everything was so jumbled with injuries and just guys that aren't shouldn't where aren't where they will be when everybody gets healthy but I mean Carter hey Carter pretty much picked up where he left off last season. He got the puck from Vasilevsky on that mistake, found found um, Danton Heinen. Heinen buried it. Heinen looked good, but Heinen was a guy that when he was in Boston had the look of a guy that could put maybe 40 points on the board. It's unfortunate he went to Anaheim where uh, the, at, the, at a time where they are so depleted on talent that he couldn't really blossom there but maybe now in Pittsburgh with a guy like Crosby or Malkin or if he sticks with even a veteran like Carter who's going to dish out assist uh, and can still be an offensive force maybe he puts up the points that we expect and maybe he kind of does in a way replace Jared McCann uh, in, in in a way so it's just you there's nobody to really be unimpressed with but I think the biggest impression was a reminder of just how good of a head coach Mike Sullivan is uh, that game had his fingerprints all over it. He had a game plan and he brought his players to execute it to perfection. And in the process, he ties uh, Dan Bilesma for most wins, most regular season wins as a head coach in Penguins history. So whether that's tonight, Saturday, or hopefully not past Saturday that they get that next one. And he takes over that top spot and deservedly so, because he just showed on Tuesday night why he's the best ever do it in Pittsburgh and one of the best currently in the game. Agreed. It's a testament to Mike Sullivan's value. It's become a little bit of a theme here, and it's a theme throughout hockey, really, looking at the lifespan of NHL head coaches. But for Sullivan to be here for as long as he has and rack up the the accomplishments that he has and have have that, that, that style of play that when the players buy in, like you say, Robbie, 
when they buy in, everything looks like it's clicking and it works so brilliantly. So hats off to Mike Sullivan as well. We're certainly going to be watching throughout uh, the rest of the early portions of the season to see uh, how he manages his squad of players as we eventually get back to full strength. So hats off to him as well. So, Robbie, let's uh, switch gears now. We have a pretty interesting mailbag segment here. Uh, if you're new to the mailbag, if you're a first-time listener or a long-time listener and you'd like to contribute to the mailbag segment, you can do so by following our Pennsburg Podcast Twitter account, at Pennsburg Pod. That's at Pennsburg P-O-D. Every week we will send out a mailbag tweet asking for your participation in this segment. We want to know what our listeners are thinking about and what they have questions about, what they want to see answered. And Robbie, this week we have a we have a, quite a few questions here, more than we did last week. So that's happy. I'm happy to see that. And as always, Robbie, you will get first crack at the mailbag. Question number one comes from Brian, and it's a bit of a long statement, but we'll get to the question here. Brian wants to know this. I know it was only one game, but I really liked what we saw last night, referring to Tuesday's game against Tampa Bay, specifically from the forecheck. It was suffocating. I think if we can keep that style of play up all season, we're going to be just fine. Also wanted to ask if there were any moves in the offseason that you would have liked to have seen. Also wanted to add that I believe the presence of Hornquist would have made a difference in that Islanders first round series. Yeah, the forecheck was the best it's been in a very long time with Mike Sullivan. Uh, but that's the game plan Sullivan wants, and that's the game plan that um, his system relies upon. And it was, again, executed to absolute perfection on Tuesday night. If we can keep it up all, all season long, I, that's, the, that's the system that Sullivan wants to run. Um, so if they play like that on Tuesday night, they are going to win a lot of hockey games, like I mentioned earlier. Um, that system is so hard to play against just because – it just grinds you to dust. It is so hard to get scoring opportunities against it. It is so hard to get space against it. It is so hard to get your legs moving against it because it is just suffocating. Uh, like this question uh, mentioned, it just completely takes out, out guys like Kucherov and Stamkos out of the equation. And if it helps you get that first goal, it becomes very, very hard uh to come back against because the system is so reliant on puck possession. And if you're leading and you're possessing the puck, the odds of you winning are going up um, with every passing, every passing second. So, so what we saw on Tuesday night was Mike Sullivan to a T and when his players buy into it and when they are designed to fit his system, they're going to have positive results like we saw on Tuesday night. So let's just hope for more of that, obviously because it is so fun to watch and it's just so hard to play against for opposing teams. Um, any moves this offseason I'd like to have seen? I, I mean, I can dwell on the goalie situation, but it's very clear that Ron Hextall and company are sticking with Tristan Jari, um, at least for this season, because they have a belief, and as long as that is is there then it is what it is. So I can't harp too much on that. What would I have liked to have seen? As much as I think that he can be replaced, I would have liked to have seen Jared McCann remain in Pittsburgh. So maybe that's a move I would have liked to have not seen um, because I just think that he really came into his own last year. He was on a very good contract. And I understand that the hands were tied because of the expansion draft, but I think there's a way they could have uh, kept 
Carter and uh, and McCann. And McCann was so good on that power play when Malkin was out last year. So I guess I just would have liked to have seen uh, Jared McCann remain in Pittsburgh. Um, and the, uh, the remark about Hornquist, again, that Islander series came down to goaltending and goaltending alone. The Penguins pretty much dominated all six games of that series. And if they get any goaltending from Jari, that game, that series is probably over in five. Now we can debate whether it would have mattered against Boston, who plays a more grinding game, but neither here nor there. That Islander series, to me, will always be the tale of two goaltenders, as in Semyon Varlamov slash Ilya Sorokin um, versus Tristan Jari and Sorokin Varlamov getting the better of Jari in that in that instance. Question number two comes from longtime mailbag correspondent Cole Del Vecchio. How would you rate ESPN's first broadcast? What are your likes? What did you dislike? When I got this question from the mailbag uh, tweet, I was really looking forward to it, Robbie, because I am a bit of a broadcast junkie. Uh, I have followed mm-hmm. the the news of at the NHL's departure from NBC to ESPN and TNT with uh, a lot of interest. And uh, so having hockey back on ESPN for the first time since 2004, uh, albeit a time, admittedly, that I wasn't watching hockey, I was, I think I was 2004, that would have been, uh, I would have been six years old at the time, so I'm dating myself a little bit, so this is certainly for an older crowd uh, like yourself, Robbie, but having hockey back on ESPN so far, I was really impressed with it. I am a really big fan of Ray Ferraro. His analysis from TSN, having him come over to ESPN is a big boost, in my opinion. Really big fan of Ray Ferraro's analysis. Uh, Sean McDonough's play-by-play. Uh, I'm not the biggest Sean McDonough fan. Uh, I think he is a, a, a perfectly fine perfectly fine announcer for what he does. Certainly no stranger to hockey. That being said, uh, the same thing goes for Steve Levy. He's contributed to ESPN's hockey coverage in the past. Linda Cohn has uh, has as well. Barry Melrose has been with ESPN for many years now. I'm sure he's excited to finally get more than a 30-second segment on the Noon Sports Center to talk about some hockey. So uh, that's exciting for him. I really liked AJ Malesko's analysis. The uh, form I think she's a a former U.S. women's hockey player. Uh, so she I know she uh, did some work with NBC before all of their contracts were uh, eventually terminated as NBC lost the rights, but I really liked her analysis as well. So overall, I was impressed with ESPN's broadcast. The one thing that I wasn't a fan of was the, the I think they called it the rush feature, which was where the announcers went silent and they basically just showed you and let you hear the ins and outs of the game, the, the skates on the ice, the puck bouncing off the glass, those kinds of things. Um, yeah, you know, it was all right for me. Uh, I know a lot of fans, myself included, had a lot of problems with the the mixing on ESPN's part. Uh, oftentimes, the 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 ambient noise of the crowd or the the skates and whatever were drowning out the the uh, the discussion of the play by play and the color announcers. So that's probably something that they can fix with a little bit more tuning. But overall, I was impressed with ESPN's broadcast. I'm really looking forward to watching hockey on a different network other than NBC. I thought NBC's broadcasts were getting incredibly stale. The analysts that they were bringing on there, I I was not a big fan of. For a lot of what ESPN has done right, I think they're going to market the sport differently than what NBC had done for the last 15 years. I think NBC or ESPN isn't afraid to market 
your Ovechkins and your Crosbys and your McDavid's and your Matthews. They're going to get more eyes on the product, which is always going to be a positive for the sport. And the same thing goes for TNT. I was watching uh, Chicago and Colorado on TNT, and I was really enjoying the the, the back and forth of the studio analysts. Uh, they have Wayne Gretzky on there. Liam McHugh comes over from NBC. Uh, they had Rick Tockett on there. Um, who else? Paul Bissonette. Uh, if you're familiar with the Spit and Chicklets podcast, I believe he does with Barstool. Uh, so I was I was really uh, entertained by the intermission reports that I was getting on TNT as well. Overall, to put uh, a big bow on this, very happy that e- uh, hockey is back on ESPN and has a new partner in TNT. And through the first couple of broadcasts, I'm very excited and, and looking forward to what uh, the kind of product that we're going to get from both companies. Robbie, I don't know if you if you want to throw your hat into this conversation too. I don't know if that's something. I know a lot of people are just like, oh, what channel's the Penguins game on? Okay, I'll just flip it to that. But for me, like having something like this was really interesting, and uh, I was really a big fan of both broadcasts early on. You mentioned about the the mic balance was off a little bit. Um, as for the announcers, uh, I think because you had Emily Ka- em- Emily Kaplan between the benches for the Penguins game, she is very knowledgeable she's very good so if you don't follow her on twitter go find her on twitter she's uh she's excellent on um on hockey um as for sean mcdonough it is what it is to me i he's not my favorite he's not my um i don't hate listening to him let's put it that way so overall i mean sean mcdonough is fine in the role for me uh it seems like they have a lot of options to go with uh, when it comes to uh, who's going to call games. Butcher Gross called the late game. Uh, Butcher Gross, I know he's not the favorite of a lot of people, but in my opinion, he uh, he's fine. He is what it is. Um, that's, to me, overall, I'm just glad that, um, that ESPN has it back because it was kind of and like you said, NBC was very stale at this point, and I just am glad to have ESPN back. You had that theme back. Uh, I don't know if you remember the NHL on ESPN theme uh, from back in the 90s and 2000s when ESPN originally had the rights, but it was nice to have that back. They did a really nice special on how it came to be originally, so I'm just really excited that it's going to be marketed in what I feel is a better way than anything NBC was able to do. And so far, I like all the personalities they have uh, put forth because I think they have a lot of talent and just a lot of will to make their product very good. And I'm very much looking forward to how it develops over the next rest of this season and in the future. All right. With that being said, we'll go to question number three here. This this question comes from Brian in parentheses, Pope Darth Maul the first. I know it was only one game, but it was great to see some of the new guys have an impact. I was really happy for Boyle. Once Crosby and Malkin are back, what did you what do you think they do with Boyle and or the other centers? So I think there's four clear centers on the Penguins team, and it is Crosby, Malkin, Jeff Carter, and Teddy Bluger. I think those are your top four centers. Now, whether or not Carter can shift to a wing, Bluger can shift to a wing or Boyle can shift to a wing. I think it all really depends on how Boyle plays. If he continues to play like he did the other night, he maybe becomes a permanent fixture in the lineup. If he struggles, then maybe he becomes a healthy scratch or an injury replacement. Uh, 
or whatnot, because I, I mean, I think your top four centers are Crosby, Malkin, Carter, and Bluger. And I don't really think there's much debate anywhere in Penguins world as to that being the case. Bluger is clearly ready to take a next step. He is a part of a very key line. He is very important to what the Penguins do. And he just looks ready to kind of break out, take a, take on a bigger role, uh, even with Carter here. And Carter, I mean, Carter does what he does. We've seen it. He's been great since he came over. He was great the other night. So the more I mean, Carter's not going anywhere. And the more we see out of Bluger, the more you like. So Boyle, if he shifts to a wing, maybe or or how are they, however they decide to do it, but it's all going to come down to what they what they see in Boyle in these next couple weeks because he's going to be in the lineup for at least a little while, I think, even after Crosby comes back. Because they can all shift Rodriguez to a wing too, uh, so I think that unless he finds a way to break, I, I just don't see him overtaking Bluger, Carter, Malkin, or Crosby. Obviously, so if he brings something to the lineup that Mike Sullivan thinks that he definitely needs, you see, you move him to a wing spot or you find a way to make room for him. But I, I just think that yeah, Boyle is good for what he does, but he's not a a guy that's going to knock somebody else out of the lineup, at least at the center position. Question number four, again from Brian, a.k.a. Pope Darth Maul the first. Uh, if the Penguins are out of the postseason and or Boyle is being used less, do you think the Penguins consider trading Boyle to a contender for a chance at a Stanley Cup? Yeah, I don't want to repeat everything that everything that you basically just said, Robbie, kind of applies to Brian's question here as well. Um, he had to know going into signing the contract that when everyone's healthy, it's Crosby, Malkin, Carter, Bluger. Now, if, if he's playing out of this world hockey and finding the fountain of youth and Sullivan has to find a place for him, like he, there's no possible way that Boyle can sit in this lineup. Then, you know, maybe like you said, he transitions over to the wing. If, if let's say he is, he's being that healthy scratch forward. And if a team comes calling for Brian Boyle services at the trade deadline for a draft pick or something like that, if you're the Penguins, you make that move all day. Like, you don't even hesitate. You just say, thank you for giving me your draft pick. Here's Brian Boyle. And that's not a slight on Brian Boyle. If everyone's healthy, where is Brian Boyle realistically going to play? Any like The fourth line left wing spot, there's other players that could take his spot and possibly play over him like Dominic Simone or, or, uh, or Sam Lafferty, whoever, like that's only if I think Boyle is playing out of this world hockey. So if he's being used less and everyone's healthy, if he's being used less and less then and if someone does come knocking for Brian Boyle, by all means, if you're the Penguins, you absolutely make that trade to see if you can get uh, a draft pick or even a low end prospect or whatever, a minor leaguer. Yeah. I think you, you make that trade all day, every day. Brian Boyle is a veteran. He knows this is a business at the end of the day. He was brought on to alleviate some of the center depth issues without Malkin. But when Malkin, when Malkin comes back and everyone is hopefully fully healthy, uh, I think he knows that that writing is on the wall and he's going to be an injury replacement and probably in the press box as long as everyone is healthy. And uh, Robbie, there is one last question that I didn't include in the outline that I got from Twitter late last night, and a pretty easy question, so no, no, no need for research or anything like that. But Brendan wants to know, what is the lowest result that would make you call this season successful? Making the playoffs, winning one round, the Eastern Conference Final, or the Stanley Cup? 
I mean, as long as Crosby and Malkin are there, it's going to be Stanley Cup or bust, uh, in my opinion. But I'll start with winning a round because it feels like it's been eons since the Penguins won a round in the playoffs, and it's been since 2018. So it'll be four years before the 2022 playoffs roll around. So um, I'll start with winning a round, and then uh, from there, um, it, it's going to be win the Cup because the window is closing so quickly now that I'd love to take another run i really would it's it's an extremely stressful um time but it is just when it pays off it's the best feeling in the world so i i i have to say win the cup because as long as 87 and 71 58 those guys are there it's going to be the expectation is going to be cut because that kind of talent just does not amass itself um every day so uh, it's I mean, I got to say the cup, but I mean, I'll start with taking, uh, just winning a round. Uh, well, I'll actually start with winning the playoff or getting in the playoffs, and then then winning a round because um, you can't put one foot in front of the other. But I mean, it's hard to win the cup. It's very hard, even with the talent the Penguins have had. Uh, just go back and look at the struggles they had before 2016 and 2017. Yeah, let's start with making the playoffs, winning a round, uh, and then we'll focus on. Uh, bigger aspirations yeah robbie i agree with you take it one step at a time make the playoffs have everyone healthy and then we'll see what happens if they do get into a round one matchup and we'll we'll take it from there uh i don't think i don't think it would be a complete failure if they did get past the first round uh, seeing how it has been like you said it'll be coming up on the four-year mark since they have been past the first round but um yeah we'll, we'll take it one step at a time and uh, if the Penguins do find themselves in that uh, fortunate position of being in the playoffs, we'll we'll uh, certainly talk about it when when we cross that bridge. But that will do it for this episode of the Pensburg Podcast. Robbie, we finally have some real hockey to talk about. No more preseason, and this time next week when we meet up, we will have more games to talk about. So that will be a, a bonus for the both of us as well. Uh, but for yourself, for Robbie Noggle, I have been Garrett Behanna. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Pensburg podcast, and we will talk to you all next week.